Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today, we talk brainstorms with UX designer Brian. Let's go. First question. You thought you'd see everyone's idea in the team brainstorm, but you've got a grand total of one. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board, right? Because in Miro, the team can add ideas now or later. And with Privacy Mode, we can keep them anonymous until they're good to share. Correct. Next, you need the best way to explain your idea, but all you have is a few sticky notes. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, because, you know, in Miro, I could record videos, add text, images, links, and digital sticky notes, of course, present my thoughts the way I want. Right again! Now, you're looking for a past idea you thought was just genius. Only you could find... Oh! There it is. Drawing board or... Miro. Our finished and unfinished work lives in one place. And he's won. Join over 60 million people getting ideas noticed in Miro brainstorms. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Hi, I'm Tom Butler. And I'm Brendan Duffy. You're listening to the James Bond A to Z podcast. Join us on this journey of discovery across the world of the 007 movies as we take an encyclopedic look at cinema's greatest spy films. We'll learn about the people who made them in front of the camera and behind, from Ken Adam to Max Zorin, with the occasional detour down a few rabbit holes. And we'll sometimes be joined by guests with unique insight into the world of Bond. This podcast is in no way affiliated with the James Bond brand, E.ON or the Fleming Estate. We do our best to make sure the information is accurate, but sometimes we do get it wrong. If you want to correct us on something or add some more detail, email us on podcast at jamesbondatoz.co.uk. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the James Bond A to Z podcast where we have reached the letter R. My name is Tom Butler and joining me as we research and regurgitate the characters and creators of the James Bond world that fall under the 18th letter of the alphabet, it's the really, really, really ridiculously righteous Mr. Brendan Duffy. You've ran out of ideas, haven't you? (laughs) Yes, uh, it's the letter R, if you haven't guessed already by me saying it many, many times. Um, So interestingly, the letter R has actually served up a real raft of rarities um, and there's lots of many names that you may never have come across before. So buckle up. I think this is an episode of real deep cuts. What do you think, Brendan? Yeah, it's it's um it's quite interesting how it's fallen, isn't it? The the characters, like the two Bond girls, chronologically in there. That's um, yeah, pretty interesting. Um, and of course we could have had a Bond film, Risico. Ah. But it never, it never came to be, or it may, yeah. it may still yet come to be. We might mm, have to come yeah. back to this in a, in a future episode. Who knows? Um, I do. Before we kick off with the letter R, I've got to confess to a serious oversight. Um, for the le- episode for the letter P, we missed a certain Mister Tom Pevsner, who you may or may not know, but he was a German-born filmmaker. He was an associate, then an executive producer on every James Bond film from 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 your eyes only. To Goldeneye, so I've just got to say apologies to Tom Pevsner and his legacy, but uh, you get an honourable mention here in the letter R. Um, but uh, yeah, Pevsner was someone that was hired by um, Cubby to keep Fiora's only uh, cost effective, um, and John Glenn said of Pevsner, he was my nuts and bolts man on all my Bond films. His experience was and support were invaluable to my success, and. Um, uh, like I said, Goldeneye was his last Bond credit. Um, and Barbara Broccoli said that Tom Pevsner was a mentor to her. 
and she learned the art of production scheduling from him. He taught me about breaking down scripts. He was an incredible man. So apologies, Mr. Pevsner, but hopefully uh, just this token gesture will uh, keep uh, keep the Bond fans happy and off our backs. <laughs> Do you want to give a shout out for our underappreciated movie moments? Yeah, so we're still looking for those underappreciated movie moments. Um to celebrate the 60th anniversary of the Bond movies. So um, if you can send us an audio clip, how are we, how are we taking those? Just by email. Send them on email yeah. to uh, yeah podcast at jamesbond8z.co.uk and yeah, try and keep them under two minutes long um, and try and get them to us by the middle of September 2022. Obviously, if you're listening to this in the future, you've missed your chance. <laughs> But um, try and get them to this middle of, middle of September so we can put them into an episode in October. We've had some really great entries, but um, yes, we need more. We'd love to hear what you think. So uh, now is your chance. If you like the show and you want to get involved, send them over. Uh, loads of great underappreciated moments you can choose from. So from underappreciated moments, Brendan, to... To... R is for R, <laughs> the character, the, the assistant to Q in The World Is Not Enough, technician and uh, employed by Q Branch. He yeah, he first appears in The World Is Not Enough and then he appears again in Die Another Day. This time, is he as Q or is it just Quartermaster? No, I, I think doesn't, doesn't the, the scene evolve so that by the end... Pierce Brosnan's Bond calls him Q because he right. sort of accepts that he is the real yeah. Q. You haven't mentioned who plays him yet, though. No, John Cleese. John, John Cleese, yes. Yes. So it was quite a short stint for R slash Q, but he did also start in the video game Agent Under Fire. No, he did the advertising for Agent Under Fire. You can see that advert on um, on YouTube. And he actually posted it last year as well. Just He wants to know if anyone actually played the game. Ah. And he posted a clip of the the advert, and it's just it's just John Cleese asking uh, asking about various gadgets. Like, have you have you done what have you done with this uh, and stuff like that? Um, but he did he did actually appear in some video games. The world is not enough video game and everything or nothing. So in terms of getting the role, John Cleese said, "I could never understand why they passed me over for the lead role of James Bond, but they did." Movie after movie, they came up with old grandfathers like Roger Moore when they wanted people who were dynamic and sexy like me. <clears throat> and just a, just a side note here, this is one of the all-time greatest British comedians saying this. <laughs> he said, so when they said, would you like to be Q's assistant R, I couldn't have been more pleased. So, yeah, the reason they asked is because at the time, Cleese's wife, I don't know what number wife that would be, <laughs> <laughs> he was friends with the producers so that got him got him the role and he said we agreed that Desmond Llewellyn would go on being Q until he was 100 at which point I would be 80 um so obviously we've talked about Q in the previous episode the the plan wasn't for Desmond Llewellyn to retire it was just they, they'd given him an assistant but obviously sadly he passed away he died in a car accident after the release of uh, The World Isn't Enough. So then John Cleese took over the role of Q for Die Another Day. And in terms of the playing the role, he said they're very, very happy to let you play a bit with the script. He said, so that and Shrek are about the two of the best jobs you can have. Just to let you know the level we're dealing with here. Uh, so John Cleese, if you've not... I mean, who's not heard of John Cleese, right? <laughs> John Cleese, born October 1939, is an English actor, comedian, screenwriter, and producer. So most famous for Mont either Monty Python, which he created in the late 60s. Co-created. Co-created. Don't worry, I'm going to credit them. <laughs> <laughs> Co-created with Terry Gilliam, Eric Idle, Terry Jones, Michael Palin, and Graham Chapman. And they, they made films as well. So it wasn't just the TV show. Uh, they also did Monty Python, The Holy Grail, Life of Brian, and The Meaning of Life which has fans globally and it's it's a huge phenomenon still a huge phenomenon yeah yeah not for me but you know but this is for me in the mid 70s he 
wrote uh, a sitcom with his first wife, Connie Booth, who played Polly, and he played Basil Fawlty in Fawlty Towers. Um, oh, iconic. Which, you know, in is it is in all of those lists of the greatest sitcoms ever. And did it win? Or did Only Fools win? What's that, the it greatest got... sitcom ever? Yeah. Yeah, I think it has been named that. I think it has yeah. been named that. Um, so wait, so not... you're a massive Faulty Towers fan, but you don't like Monty Python? Yeah. Wow. Just can't can't relate to swords and soldiers. I don't know what that means, but go on. No, it's the Holy, Holy Grail, isn't it? Right. Isn't that... Well, that's, yeah. Night, nights. Well, as I can yeah. relate to a miserable hotel owner. Right, okay. Yeah. Okay. Just... I mean, that's just one part of Monty Python, isn't it? But All right. The, the, the Jesus-y bits. <laughs> what about the TV series? Anyway, look, we digress. Let's get back <laughs> the to the dead art. parrot. The dead parrot's good. The dead parrot stuff, yeah. It won a BAFTA for uh, best entertainment performance in nineteen. 19- oh, he won a BAFTA for best entertainment performance in nineteen eighty. Um, and then since that, he he made a Fish Called Wanda in nineteen eighty eight. Classic with fellow Python Michael Palin. Yeah, and uh, Fierce Creatures. I've seen. I think I've seen a fish called Wonder, but not Fierce Creatures. Should I have? Yeah, yeah. No, Fierce Creatures is not as is not as good. I mean, right, I think okay. they were hoping to get recapture the magic of uh, Fish Called Wonder, but um, right. didn't quite manage it. And yeah, he wrote those both of those. Fish Called Wonder was nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. Um, it's also in Time Bandits. He also did Rat Race. I'm sure, I remember yes. that one. Yeah. Um, he was nearly headless Nick in the Harry Potter films. And uh, he was uh, in four of the Shrek films as the king, I think. Right, okay. Uh, one of his favourite roles, apparently. So there you go. He also did a walk-on part, playing a man on the beach who looks like John Cleese in Bullseye. And who was in Bullseye? Roger Moore. Roger Moore. And Michael Caine. And Michael Caine. So yeah, that's that's our... Um, for anyone who was waiting during the Q episode going, where's John Cleese? Well, there he is. We've done him now. Stop emailing in. <laughs> uh, what do you think of, of John Cleese as our... I mean, it's it's it would only work in those two films. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I, I it's, think it's, any other is out of place. It's very broad, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that's the problem. I think with, with Q, as we've done a whole episode on Q recently, I think the thing with Q is that... Um, there's that relationship with Bond, isn't it? He, ta- he takes his work very seriously. Hmm. Um, yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't like the agents messing around and stuff. But with 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 R, it kind of with it being Cleese as a com- who is a comedian act- c- c- known as a comedy actor. Yeah. It just it lent too heavily into the comedy side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So well, for me, it was John Cleese playing John Cleese. Yeah, that's yeah. That's it, it wasn't Q. No, that's true. That's the problem. Yeah. That's that's fair. I know that he that people do like his incarnation of Q, but um, and if you do, if you get something out of it, then then fair play to you. Horses for courses, at the end of the day. But why didn't he come back in Casino Royale? <laughs> <laughs> but John Cleese, I mean, to say he's a problematic figure nowadays is uh, is is probably uh, yeah uh, probably on on the money. Should we move mm-hmm. on? Yes, please. Right. R is for Rietti, Robert Rietti. Now, you probably won't know the name, but you'll know the voice. Hmm, cryptic. Uh, so born in February 1923, uh, he died in April 2015. L- Lucio Herbert Rietti, who was known as Robert Rietti, was an English actor, voice actor, and playwright who really made his name in the world of ADR, uh, as we know it, dubbing. Now, his fingerprints or at least his voice is is all over the early James Bond films. Um, but you just might not have known how much. There's a really, really great clip on YouTube, um, which I'll probably put out on Twitter, uh, from a Barry Norman a TV show um, where he does a segment on Robert Rietti. And Barry Norman calls him a man of the man of a thousand voices. And who are we to... Uh, dispute that with Barry Norman. So across the Bond films, he voiced Strangways in Doctor No. He voiced Emilio Largo in Thunderball. So when you see Adolfo Celli talking, it's Rob Rietti. He voices Tiger Tanaka in You Only Live Twice mm. and Blofeld in For Your Eyes Only. Um, or, or 
the person that's supposed to be Blofeld. So he has the line about the stainless steel, um, <laughs> uh, Deli and stainless steel. Uh, but he also appeared on screen in Honor Majesty's Secret Service in the casino scene as well. And he worked on a total of eight Bond films. And he also, I think, I couldn't get full confirmation of this, but I think he directed a lot of the post-production syncing across the Bond films as well. He once said, uh, in nearly every Bond picture, there's been a foreign villain. And in almost every case, they've used my voice. So just a little bit of a bio uh, biog on, on Robert Rietti. His father, Victor Rietti, was also an actor and he recognised his son's talent from the age of eight. He'd given him a script to help him learn his lines and he realised that his son had completely memorised the lines while he was rehearsing. Um, and, and this sort of was a catapult into an early life as a child actor for Robert Rietti. And his IMDb credits, I mean, there are literally hundreds. They begin in 1933. Um, he was he went to his father's own stage school and he was handpicked by Alfred Hitchcock to play a boy in Secret Agent in 1936. But he had to turn it down due to the uh, the laws about the schooling that he would have needed at the time while he was filming. So he'd, he'd done like dozens of films by the time he was aged 11. But when World War Two broke out because his family was Italian, they were placed in a detention centre. Um, but after eight months, they were released and they were allowed to organise a troop of actors who were then went on to entertain the troops. It's funny how many people in the Bond world, that is some, a part of what mm. happened to them, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, like I said, he was a very in-demand child actor. Um, and that then evolved into being a screen actor. Um, a, lot of the, a lot of the time working in character roles. Uh, he's got some really good credits to his name, though. Um, the Italian Job, he's in that in 1969. Sunday, Bloody Sunday in 1971. He's in The Omen and in the 2001 um, Hannibal film as well. Um, in After the war, he worked with Orson Welles uh, a fair bit. He appeared in a, a few radio plays with him. And then later in 1972, when Orson Welles starred in Treasure Island, there was a problem with the recording and Orson Welles wasn't able to come back to do it. So he recorded all of Orson Welles dialogue wow. in 1972's Treasure Island and basically you wouldn't know the difference. But it became known as the, sort of the king of dubs and often was called on to supply like Italian voices. But he also spoke, spoke fluent German, French and Russian. And he became sort of well known for dubbing foreign actors in English language films with international casts. Um, films such as Lawrence of Arabia, El Cid. But due to the nature of this role, he has many, many uncredited roles across movie, radio and TV. And people who know like dubbing voices apparently can recognise Robert Rietti's voice, Robert Rietti's voice um, instantly. Um, he said, I don't really understand why, and this was talking about why he didn't get credits, but because if they want singing in a film and they have an actress or an actor who doesn't sing well, they'll revoice them with a famous voice and there'll be a credit afterwards. But if they revoice a voice for speaking, nobody must know. There was an actor, a famous actor called Jack Hawkins, who had uh, cancer and had part of his larynx removed. And then Robert Rietti became the man who did his voice in every movie. In the film Waterloo in 1970, um, he did many, many voices. And there's a scene uh, where, sorry, he did 98 voices in in that movie and there's a scene where there's four of four of him doing four voices on screen at the same time it's it's kind of crazy really and then in the film agatha christie film and then there were none um there were there are scenes where he's having conversations with himself across characters wow i wonder how he recorded that if he, well i don't know if he back and forth back and forth yeah yeah and then bringing it back to bond in 1979 after the death of robert shaw he recorded his dialogue for the film Avalanche Express because the actor had died before he'd been able to do the um the the dubbing um so yeah he's he's a, a very well well established um film creative he was known also for translating and adapting italian plays into english and he was actually awarded a knighthood by the italian government and was given a bafta in 2000 for his um a special award for his outstanding work uh, in 2010, he published an autobiography called A Forehead Pressed Against a Window, which I'm going to pick up now because it's quite it's available quite uh, readily. But one final fun Bond fact for you. Appearing in Never Say Never Again as an Italian minister, he's the only actor beyond Sean Connery to appear in both Never Say Never Again and Thunderball. Wow. So there you go. Robert Rietti, an unsung hero of the Bond world. R is for Ryder. Honey Rider. So in the novel 
it's Honey Child Rider, and um, and then they they shortened the name, changed it to Honey Rider for the film, played by Swiss actor Ursula Andress. But speaking of dubbing, she was also dubbed by Nikki Van der Zyl, um, who have we covered? No, because it's saving Z. it for the letter Z. Oh yes, we need something for that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in terms of the dubbing. Um, she said it bothered me at the time, but I worked hard to improve my English for future roles. And looking back, it probably did me a favor. So yeah, Honey Honey Rider is um, she is the child of a, a marine biologist. She was brought up by her father, um, who was then uh, killed. He's killed, right? Isn't he? Yeah. Well, I mean, she's an orphan, uh, isn't crap, she? Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, she's she's an orphan, and um, she's basically learn everything she knows from an encyclopedia which gives her that sort of innocent positive outlook but still doesn't trust bond does she when when she meets bond i'm rightly so yeah um so then obviously bond sort of i guess he can't shake her off can he that so she ends up tagging along for the rest of the film um and then going to to crab key and uh, defeating Doctor No, and she's there, and she's involved, and she gets she gets tied up. I feel it's very unfair what happens to her, isn't it? Actually, <laughs> yeah. She, she uh, well, she's she's only on the beach collecting the shells, isn't collecting she? Collecting shells, yeah, she gets yeah. Dragged into Dragged. the story because of um, they, they, I said Doctor No's men spot her on the radar, and that's how they sort of come to find Bond, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and then she can't leave because her boat's destroyed. Yeah, so. that's it. So Ursula Andress, um, who who plays Honey Rider. She was actually mentioned in an Ian Fleming novel. Do you know which one? On a Majesty's Secret Service. Correct. And described as a beautiful movie star, uh, along with the only other person to have been named who was also in a Bond film was David Niven. Oh, and they got there eventually. Yeah. So in terms of that scene, the iconic scene where she comes out of the sea with the shells, uh, it's been homaged twice, twice more by the franchise. Um, First by Halle Berry in the 20th film, Die Another Day, for the anniversary. And then by Bond himself, Casino Royale, Daniel Craig comes out in his uh, famous blue trunks. Uh, Ursula Andress, she talks about her her legacy as a Bond girl. And she said, it was a big moment for me. I think that simple bikini made a complete difference to my career. It made me into a success. I had a few movies before that, but nothing had the impact of that scene in Doctor No. After being the first Bond girl, I had offer after offer and could take my pick of the roles that were around. It's a mystery. All I did was wear this bikini, Doctor No, not even a small one, and whoosh, overnight I made it. It gave me financial independence and changed my life completely. Um, so in terms of that bikini, that it sold for £41,000 which was seven times the amount she was paid for her appearance. Oh. <laughs> uh, which is pretty incredible. And what, they had to learn the song underneath the mango tree for that scene. And Sean Connery and Ursula Andress would fight over the record player because they only had one. So they'd fight <laughs> over it too. And she said, he didn't need the practice because he sings much better than I do. I can't carry a tune. And um, then she got dubbed. Then she got dubbed. <laughs> it's not going to do a lot for her confidence, <laughs> is it? Um, so Ursula Andress, she uh, went to school in Bern um, in Switzerland until she was 16. So she speaks uh, French, German, Italian and English. In terms of her career, so she was at a party where she met a producer who offered her a screen test for an Italian film, um, which was successful. So she got walk-on parts. And then eventually a Hollywood executive persuaded her to go to Hollywood and try try out there. So she got to Hollywood in 1955 and um, she signed a contract, seven uh, year contract with Paramount, which is pretty, pretty good, isn't it? As soon as you get there. Um, oh. But it didn't result in any acting roles um, because she was reluctant to learn English. So that, that hampered her at the time. She also uh, received a, a slight bit of fame because she dated James Dean just before he died. Oh, I um, know that. And then... She stayed on in Hollywood. She married John Derrick in 1957. So um, their plan was to to make a film, but that didn't, that didn't turn out either. So Dr. No, obviously that was her big break. Like she says, changed her life overnight. Following that, she played the female lead in an Elvis Presley musical called Fun in Acapulco. Have you seen that? No. No. 
So that's, that's I mean, what a huge job to get um, yeah. off the back of Bond. Um, and then in 1963, she was in Four for Texas alongside Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin and Anita Ekberg. Wow. So, you know, that, that role really had propelled her forward. She was in, so she played a supporting role in What's New Pussycat, produced by Charles K. Feldman. Here we go. And what else did he produce? Casino, Casino Royale, Royale. 1967. Um, Ursula Andress, she played Vespalin, and um, she's the, the spy who persuades Evelyn Tremble to carry out a mission. Evelyn Tremble is played by Peter Sellers. Her fee was apparently £200,000. Wow. Which was loads. Um, Val Guest, who directed Andress's scenes in Casino said, I don't think I've ever met someone who, so, who is so universally loved by everyone in a studio. They'd all do anything for her, and this is really quite something. One day, someone someone is going to get the real Ursula on the screen and in a comedy, and she's going to astound everybody. The trouble is that she's so tense. I actually think she's quite good in that. I thought fair. she was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's. there's not many good things about that film, but I think she's one of them. Um, then she was in an Italian film called Anyone Can Play 1968, and that was starring alongside Claudine Alga, ah. another Bond girl. Thunderball. Um, and then her career throughout the 70s, uh, most of the, the roles she did, she was nude. And she earned her, her nickname. What do you think her nickname was? Ursula Undress. Yes. How original. 1981, she was in Clash of the Titans. She played Aphrodite alongside Laurence Olivier. Um, and then since the 90s, she's all but retired. It's sort of really not rare appearances. Um, and she splits her time between uh, an apartment in Rome and the house in Switzerland. And that's nearby to uh, her family. I think she's 86. There we go. Innings. The first well, I mean, Bond girl. Oh, exactly. I was just going to say, I mean, in terms well, of like... Well, Sylvia Trench, but... Yeah. <laughs> but in, in terms of what you expect or, or what became expected of a Bond girl, mm-hmm. you know, yep. she really set the template for what was to come in, in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and that introduction scene is, yeah, it's indelible, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Along with Roger, uh, Rogers, along with Sean Connery's in that in that film, and Doctor Knows, it's a fil- it's a great film with great introductions of characters. I think, yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, like you say, with copies a couple cropping up down the line, um, many many times. Absolutely. Coffee, medium sweet. Two medium sweet. Thanks for listening. We hope you're enjoying the James Bond A to Z podcast. Remember, if you want to support the show, we have a coffee page at ko-fi.com forward slash James Bond A to Z, where you can buy us a coffee for just £3 or for £3 a month. Thanks for listening. Back to the show. Is that all it does? So from one iconic character to another. Here we go. Artist for Robinson, Charles Robinson. Now, appearing in three Bond films, Charles Robinson is a MI6 aide and the deputy chief of staff who appears in Tomorrow Never Dies, The World Is Not Enough and Die Another Day, portrayed by British actor Colin Salmon. Now, he joined the Tomorrow Never Dies um, or he was added to the story for Tomorrow Never Dies because Michael Kitchens, uh, Bill Tanner, was unable to return um, he'd appeared in Goldeneye, but wasn't available for Tomorrow Never Dies. So they had to basically swap the a character in. And this is where Charles Robinson came from. He appears in the pre-title sequence of Tomorrow Never Dies. He's sort of briefing Bond over the uh, over the radio um, when Bond is at the Arms Bazaar. And then he's also in the briefing in the back of the car with Bond. Um, then he uh, appears again in The World Is Not Enough. Um, and I... Th- Am I right in thinking Tanner comes back in that? Tanner does come back, doesn't he? Um, so you have Tanner and Robinson. I can't remember if that's well, is not enough or die another day. But anyway, he mm. is basically by M's side the entire time of, of the world is not enough. He take he goes out with her to the King Pipeline. Um, there is one moment where basically he leaves her on her own and she gets kidnapped. So uh, 
Robinson. Um, uh, and so then Robinson returns in, in Dino the Day. He's there with um, Falco and the NSA agents on the Korean border when Bond oh, yes. is handed back. Um, and then Robinson sadly gets shot and killed. Not really in the VR training sequence where Bond fails to protect M in Dino the Day. It's only a simulation, though. Um, so Robinson <laughs> lives to see the end of the movie. And he's there when they brief Bond and Jinx in the US base before they, um, whatever happens at the end of Dino the Day. I can't even remember what happened. Power suit in a, in a the power airplane. suit in the airplane. Yeah. yeah. So there's all that. Anyway, Colin Salmon. Uh, he was born in the early 60s in Bethnal Green, but he grew up in Luton. Now, I didn't know this about Colin Sandham, but he's a very keen musician. And he was in, he's been in a lot of bands, including a punk band called Friction. And nowadays, he ha- he plays trumpet in his own jazz quartet. Did mm. you know that? No. Um, he's played at lots of different venues, one of them being the Cheltenham Jazz Festival. That's because, James, not because, but that is thanks to Dame Judi Dench being the president of the Cheltenham Jazz Festival. So she's right. able to get him in there. And he, 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 he publicly credits her for helping him to get in there. But in terms of like his fame, he, he, he became well known in the UK uh, when he appeared in Prime Suspect 2 in 1992. And he was DS Robert Oswald. And he's had an amazing TV and, and film career, really. Um, his big roles include the first Resident Evil film. He's in Alien vs. Predator. He was in the TV series Bad Girls. He was in Doctor Who, Punisher Warzone. He's in the TV series Spooks. Um, he's done another Resident Evil film as well. Um, he's in Arrow, the TV series, he's in Law and Order UK. He's in 24. And then wow. move, Silent Witness, Krypton, Intelligence. Um, and then movies, what movies wise more recently, London has fallen and, and mortal engines. So he's a, a very in demand actor. Um, he has sort of reprised bond a little bit um, in 2012 when sky launched the 007 HD channel. Um, he did, he voiced the um, idents and they're really good. Actually, you can watch them um, again on YouTube. But bringing it back to Bond, like Robert Darvey in Licence to Kill, Salmon, Colin Salmon, would often be called upon to do screen tests with other characters for the Bond films that he worked on. And he would often stand in as Bond against other Bond, the, the, the Bond girls, the Bond villains, that sort of thing, as sort of a chemistry thing. So he's played Bond in, in his own way. And there was a lot of talk at the time, I remember of Colin Salmon being the next James Bond when Piers Brosnan mm-hmm. was Bond. It was always Colin Salmon might be, he's like the Idris Elba of the Brosnan era, isn't he? Um, and in fact, when Brosnan left the role in 2005, he said, he was asked about who the next Bond should be. He said, I think Gerard Butler would be great. Colin Salmon would be brilliant, but they don't have the bottle. Mm-hmm. And in response, Salmon said, it's the ultimate accolade. Uh, it's the ultimate accolade. There are some great candidates out there. But Pierce has watched me do it five or six screen tests and he knows I can do it. And then later, Daniel Craig got the role, obviously, but he, and he was asked about it again. He said, people have been betting about me being the next Bond for some time, so we'll see how it goes. There isn't a young man on the planet who wouldn't like to be Bond. I'm not holding my breath, but the response of the British public has been heartening. His Bond, he said, would be somewhere between Daniel Craig and Pierce Brosnan. I like what they've both done. So Colin Salmon, a nearly Bond who's in the Bond films. It's quite rare. Rare occurrence. Mm. I really like Robinson there. Yeah. I, um, interesting that they didn't just recast Tanner. Why didn't he just play Tanner? Yeah, that's true. I guess uh, Michael Kitchen was probably a recognisable face. Yeah. Well, they've done it before, haven't they? They could have just done that. But that's yeah, he, he's like a precursor to Villiers, isn't he? I guess. Right, let's move on. Art is for Romanova, Tatiana Romanova. So we've had the first Bond girl and now we've got the second Bond girl played by Daniela Bianchi. Um, she's the Bond girl for From Russia With from Russia with Love and, and the main plot point, really. She is working for the Soviet army. She's a clerk in the, the consulate in, in Istanbul yeah. who then is recruited by Rosa Klebb but she doesn't know that Rosa Klebb works for Spectre and basically manipulates her, says her life depends on, on this mission. And the mission is 
to basically pretend she's in love with uh, with Bond and to get the lector. So she's basically just, they're just using her uh, in this. She does help Bond obtain the lector and then she escapes with him and they're on the uh, Orient, Orient Express on the way to Italy. But by this point, she is conflicted by her, her feelings that were false at the beginning are now growing into real feelings for Bond. But then she's obviously, she's scared of Kleb and she is loyal to her her country. So uh, you've got Bond, conf- Bond confronts her after Karen Bay is killed on the train because he thinks that basically she was involved. But then she she says she had nothing to do with it and it was actually Red Grant that did it. So um, she's she is telling the truth and undeservedly gets uh, problematically hit. A wallop, wallop around the chops. So after that, after uh, Grant is killed, um, James Bond goes with Tatiana to Venice and Rosa Klebb comes in disguised as a maid. Tries to kill Bond with the knife shoes. And this is where you see that real test for Tatiana. She's got to decide where in that split second yeah, yeah. which way to go. So she, in the end, she disarms Kleb, picks up the gun, and uh, she's made her choice. And then the film ends with them on a boat uh, through Venice, and then Bond throws the tape of them having sex in the, in the canal. Tatiana uh, is played uh, by Daniela Bianchi. Now, over 200 actresses from around the world auditioned for this, which is incredible, isn't it? Mm. Um, and Terence Young, the director, he actually, he picked her from a headshot because he was ill and uh, couldn't make the audition. So Terence Young and uh, Cubby Broccoli, they had an appointment with uh, Daniela at her home and uh, she performed the initial audition reading from her own bed. Um, and it was, she did perform that scene, uh, the famous scene in the film. So after that successful successful first audition, she went back to Pinewood so the producers can make a decision on the casting, and uh, she could do that the scene properly. That that scene with Anthony Dawson playing Bond. Ooh. yeah. <laughs> he um, was. It was in the in the first film. He was um, Professor Dent. Dent, yeah. You, quite you've, had your, you've had your six, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've got this world bond who I want. Um, but she said, um, I was so excited during the first week of waiting that I couldn't sleep. Then when two and three weeks passed, I began to lose hope. But then they called me back to London for further tests with new makeup and hairstyle. My spirits zoomed again. So they narrowed it down to uh, three actors for the role and uh, and she got it. Um, during the, the filming of, of From Russia With Love, uh, her driver on the way to the set they had a 6 a.m. shoot. He crashed the car and they fell 15 feet. So luckily she escaped, but she had she was quite badly bruised. Um, and that uh, that meant the shooting schedule had to be delayed by two weeks ah. for her face to heal. So there you go. Um, so Daniela Bianchi, she was born in Rome. And uh, she was the runner-up in the 1960 Miss Universe contest. And she was also voted... For Miss Photogenic by the press. Um, also in that same year, Aliza Gur was Miss Israel of 1960 and was a semi-finalist in the Miss Universe pageant. And she played Vida in From Russia mm. Love. One of one the, of the gypsy girls, yeah. Yeah. Um, incredibly, just a little side note here, Miss Universe is still going. I, I just, I, I thought that would be canned, but no, it's, it's still a thing. Um, so in terms of her film career, um she began in 1958 um but here we go with dubbing again <laughs> in from russia with love she was dubbed by barbara jefford because she had such a heavy accent um they had to redub bianchi but after from russia with love she starred in some french and italian films um the last one in 1968 um in 1970 she actually retired because she she married uh, a shipping magnate called Alberto Camelli. So she just, I guess she didn't need to do it anymore or whatever. But yeah, she she retired in 1970. Um, one of her other, her other films uh, was Operation Kid Brother, 
Yay. Okay, Connery. <laughs> the there James Bond spoof starring Neil Connery, Sean's brother. Um, Bianchi was dubbed in this as well. Um, so we've never actually heard her real voice in a Bond film. In 2012, she uh, was in a documentary called We're Nothing Like James Bond, which is an Italian documentary. And it's about two middle-aged Italian men um, uh, over 50. And they're just making a documentary to, to salute the invincible early Bond. Um, so in this, they go to a, a Roman restaurant with Daniela Bianchi and uh, she sends them on the trail of Sean Connery. And so they do track him down and they uh, they get some advice over the phone from him. Oh. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's Daniela Bianchi. But again, another iconic Bond woman. I think the thing with uh, Tatiana and um, uh, Daniela's performance is it's very natural. It feels mm. like uh, sometimes you get the the Bond girls or the female characters and they're almost <laughs> like heightened, like they have to sort of match up to the fantasy of the film. Yeah. Whereas I think uh, Tatiana, she she's a sort of... Um, a, a, an ordinary-ish person that gets dragged into this spy world. And that's something I don't think we get so much of anymore um, in in Bond. I'd quite like to see, you know, Bond paired with someone like, you know, a regular person. Um, I think I think Vesper. Yeah, but she's also a spy, right? She's also, like, that's works true. for the Secret that's Service. Um, yeah. You look at um, Madeline Swan. She's, like, the daughter of Spectre. She's a doctor. She's very glamorous, you know, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And I think if you go back, maybe, I don't know, maybe um, uh, Quantum of Solace. I mean, we're talking about Daniel Craig era here, but like it's something that you don't really see that often in the rest of the Bond world either. You know, it's not either someone's connected to a master criminal or, you know, Agent Triple X. They're a secret agent themselves. But Tatiana, although she's working for the KGB, she's, she, like you say, she's a clerk. And there's a charming mm. innocence about that um, that I think, you know, the bit I always that always makes me laugh is where she makes a little mustache with her hair when she's like chatting <laughs> yeah. with Bond. You know what I mean? It's like it's mm. it's playful flirting. There's an innocence yeah. to it, and I just I, th- I think she's great. Art is for Russian Charles Rushon. I think it's Rushon. I'm going to go with Rushon. <laughs> Charles Rushon. Now he's another name from behind the scenes of Bond. It may not be instantly recognisable um, if you only have a passing interest in the films, but he definitely played a big part in the series um, early on and was known by Roger Moore as Mr. Fix-It. And I'll explain why. So um, Charles Rushon, uh, he was born in 1911, uh, later died in 1982, but he was a US Army colonel who became involved with the James Bond films from 1963's From Russia With Love onwards. So... Prior to World War Two, he had been a sound engineer working for NBC in New York and then for a Hollywood studio which specialised in westerns called Republic Pictures. When World War Two broke out, um, he joined the US Air Force and he worked in photo, photo recon and he actually uh, received the British Distinguished Flying Cross for his actions in, in World War Two. He was working with a, a top, spe- top secret special operations um, team the first air commando group um, during World War II. One of the most famous things he did was after the atomic bombs in Japan, he was among the first Americans on location flying over and documenting the destruction. Um, So that was his big claim to fame. But after the war, he became a technical advisor to filmmakers using his experience from the military, obviously having known cameras and and, uh, airplanes. And he sort of was very well connected. And he knew Cubby Broccoli uh, before Cubby started working on the Bond film. So they knew each other. Um, and so when Cubby needed someone to help sort stuff out for them, Charles Rushon was a guy that he turned to, particularly in America, but also in From Russia With Love. Charles Rushon negotiated with Turkish authorities for them to be able to use Istanbul as a location. So he became very important um, to the films. Um, in uh, Goldfinger... Uh, Cubby called upon Charles's acquaintance with JFK's press secretary, Pierre Salinger, and that was how they were able to gain access to film at Fort Knox, 
Russian also was able to arrange for the US military to do those scenes where the soldiers are dropping to their knees when the gas is like being dropped. He helped organize all of that. And in recognition of his um, his larger than life presence on set, when they uh, fly to the Fort Knox uh, hangar, there's a big sign in the movie that says, welcome General Rushon. Um, mm. So that's a little Easter egg for the, the, the filmmakers there in there. In Thunderball, in the next film, Rushon actually gets in a part in the film. He is the agent sat next to M in the sequence where the all the secret agents are called together to respond to the Thunderball threat. So he's in that scene. But he's not just in the film. He also helped to... Um, he arranged for the paratroopers dropping into the water at the end, you know, in the, uh, the, the, the doing jump into the diving scene. He arranged for all of that. So they filmed a water training jump to be filmed to put into the movie. He procured uh, from the military or from entrepreneurs the, the jetpack and the skyhook to be used in the film. And he also um, arranged for the um, explosives that were used to blow up the Disco Volante ship. Um, they actually used some sort of crazy like jet fuel and it ended up blowing up windows 60 miles away. Um wow. Um, and he also, a lot of the underwater equipment in the film was um, arranged by Charles Rushon, £92,000 worth of underwater equipment, apparently. Um, for his services on the film, Cubby gave him the motorbike that's used in the chase sequence in the film. So he got that and passed it on to his son. Now, in You Only Live Twice, he flew out with the film crew to Japan, back to where he shot the footage of the um, atomic bombs. And his wife in an interview later said, in preparing for the Bond filming, there was a reception for the Japanese officials at which a gentleman greeted Charles and said, you've gained weight. And it was a Japanese general who explained that he was on the welcoming committee at the Atsugi Air Base in Japan when the first plane arrived after the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki and Charles stepped off. So he was able to reconnect with this Japanese military guy. Um, And on that film, he also helped to bring... um, on the way back from Japan to the UK, he helped them to bring back the gyro jet rocketeer guns. Now that's quite a distinctive gun they use in You Only Live Twice. Um, you'd have to look it up, but you'll know it when you see it. it's got like holes in the side. Um, so he worked out with that as well. And then his work extended into the Roger Moore era as well. And one of the most famous things that uh, he gets credit for is closing down FDR drive in New York for the scene where Bond is driving, um, um, uh, across New York and Roger Moore called him Mr. Fix-It because he seemed to be able to uh, do or get anything done in New York City. So that's Charles Rushon. So again, um, a b- bit of an unknown name, but uh, quite an important one. Um, yeah, some of the films would look quite different without him. Definitely. Anyway. I mean, that Thunderball, yeah. all those mm. gadgets that he brought in, I thought they were just made up for the film, but no, he he was instrumental in bringing them in. Mm. Um which is which is brilliant. So we're going to dive into the addendum here. I've got to add a quick one to the list, Brendan, because I have a bit of an oh, oversight. No. I know, I know. But John Richardson, um, he wasn't on the list originally, but I've added him in. Uh, he's a British special effects supervisor. He's worked on hundreds and hundreds of films, including nine James Bond films, um, Casino Royale 67, Moonraker, Octopussy, View to a Kill, Light, Living Daylights, License to Kill, Tomorrow Never Dies, The World is Not Enough, and Die Another Day. And he's actually been nominated for five Oscars and he won one for his work on Aliens. And he's been nominated for nine BAFTAs, winning one for Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2. But, I mean, he's a massive name in British film industry. His credits include Men in Black 2, Deep Blue Sea, Starship Troopers, Cliffhanger, Highlander 2, Willow, the Pink Panther films. And in 2019, he released a book called "Movie uh, Making Movie Magic, A Lifetime Creating Special Effects. Um, and hope, and we're hoping, fingers crossed, that we'll get to speak to John Richardson for the podcast and talk to him about his amazing career. But who else is do we need to give an honourable mention to in the letter R, Brendan? So we have Simon Raven, who was a writer. Well, he was an additional writer on on, on A Majesty's Secret Service. Um, he was uh, an author, playwright, television writer and screenwriter. And uh, according to Peter Hunt, he brought him on board uh, to make the dialogue better and a little sharper and more intellectual. Um, And he specifically pinpoints the scene between Tracy and Blofeld and a lot of the Piz Gloria dialogue. 
is uh is apparently where where ravens work work went so a lot of brushing up um which we've seen a lot over the years haven't we you know these writers who come in and just uh, give it a nice bit of polish or add an extra layer um for the dialogue sometimes it's needed isn't it but are those mm. scenes in Piz Gloria between um, Blofeld and uh, Tracy are some of the best, you know, when he's reciting that poem and mm. she recites yeah. one back and it's, it is, it is dazzling stuff. So uh, yeah, a great contribution yeah. from Simon Raven. Who else to mention? Reynard. I can't believe it's just addendum. I'm sorry. I'm really <laughs> sorry. We will cover Reynard in the world is not enough. That is an episode that is coming up very soon. So stay yeah. tuned for that one. But Reynard is the character in, um, World is Not Enough, played by Robert Carlyle. He's a terrorist who conspires with Electra to monopolize the world's oil market. I can't, I can't remember what the plot yeah. of that film is, but that's the base, they're basically the gist of it. And his shtick is that he can't feel pain because he's yeah. got a bullet lodged in his brain. He holds hot rocks. And yeah, yeah. Uh, the character's name is actually Victor Zocas, but he's known as Reynard the Fox, which is the French word for foxes. Oh, so, yeah. uh, that's another Z we could have had. Well, Um, so his backstory is basically he was in the military and then he was an assassin for the KGB and then he was kicked out of the KGB because he was mentally unstable but he gets into cahoots with Electra King after after he kidnaps her Um, and uh, yeah so I mean Robert Carlyle basically joined this film at the height of his train spotting and full Monty fame Mm. Um, and we'll talk about other people who were considered for the role when we cover The World Is Not Enough but one interesting fact about it was that Robert Carlyle, well, while he was making the film, was awarded an OBE and the Queen asked him what he was doing at the moment. And he said, I spent the whole day trying to kill James Bond. So there you go. So Claude Renoir, he uh, was a French cinematographer. Um, he was the son of actor Pierre Renoir, who was nephew of a director, uh, Jean Renoir, and the grandson of painter... Pierre Auguste Renoir. Oh, so the Renoir dynasty. Yes, exactly. Um, and he was born. He was born in Paris, um, and he worked on uh, films. He worked on Cleopatra. He worked on Barbarella, and uh, he also was a cinematographer on The Spy Who Loved Me. So that's how how we get to him. But um, he's he's quite well renowned for having. Uh, the people who, who talk about his work, they say that he's got like uh, a painter's eye. Well, they would say that, wouldn't they? Yeah. Easy. It's, yeah, it's easy. Yeah. Easy shorthand, isn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> towards his final years, he, he actually went almost completely blind as well, sadly. Which... Oh, but he was going to be on Moonraker, I think, and they um, he, couldn't, he, he yeah. couldn't do it because of that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why we got the, yeah. I can't remember who replaced him. Another French cinematographer, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think so, yeah. Um, and also cinematographer Michael Reed, um, born 1929, um, Canadian, British, who worked on a lot of films throughout the 60s and 70s. And he was second unit uh, director of photography on Goldfinger, Thunderball, and You Only Live Twice. Um, he also worked on The Saint. He did mm-hmm. um, 21 episodes of that with Roger Moore. Did some Hammer Horror and um, and then... Eventually, he graduated and became the director of photography on Honor Majesty's Secret Service. So that's, uh, yeah, another, another cinematographer there. And let's wrap thing up then with a couple of actors. I, I love it when we find actors who've been in multiple Bond films playing different characters. I just, it's one of my, uh, it's one of life's little pleasures. So uh, please indulge me for a second while I tell you about Shane Rimmer and George Rubicek. So Shane Rimmer, you may know the name, but he was a Canadian actor, born in 1929, died in 2019. Uh, He spent most of his career working in the UK and he called himself Rent-A-Yank because basically in British film or TV, if you ever ever need an American actor, they called on this Canadian guy. So um, (laughs) yeah, he he basically carved out a very, very productive niche playing American roles in British TV and and film over 50 years. Best known though for voicing Scott Tracy in Thunderbirds, um, but Rimmer appeared in Bond films a number of times. He played uh, the radar operator in You Only Live Twice, who's tracking down, I think it's the, it's, the, it's the spaceship, I think, right at the beginning. 
He plays Tom in Willard White's factory in Diamonds Are Forever. So when it's Klaus Hergesheimer time, uh, he, he's in there. And when he, he talks about meeting Connery, he said, I remember shaking in my shoes with the first sight I had of Connery because he had this amazing, forceful personality. He then dubs an actor or a character in Live and Let Die. But he got his biggest screen role in Bond playing Commander Carter in The Spy Who Loved Me, uh, one of the submarine captains who is uh, taken hostage um, and helps um, take down the bad guy at the end of that movie. Um, but he talks about The Spy Who Loved Me. He said, oh, I remember almost getting killed when they overdid an explosion near me. It must have been a young guy trying to get his credentials overnight to become a star. After the ceiling, after the ceiling started to come down, I just followed Roger as if I, as if anybody was going to get out of there safe. He was. Um, so yeah, that was that. He said there was a, a people, a half a dozen had to be treated for pretty bad burns. It was quite a terrible situation. Oh, so not gosh. great. But talking about Roger, he said Roger was tremendously helpful and charming. He must have been the director's greatest friend. There was never any controversy when Roger was involved. He liked to tease the director occasionally. I can't think of a particular incident, but he just kept things moving in good spirits and never took things too seriously. That's like Roger all over. Uh, Rimmer also appeared in Doctor Strange Love. He's in Star Wars, the original Star Wars. He was in Batman Begins. And he's also played three different characters in the first three Superman films. So very much a uh, recognisable wow. face across that sort of era of movies. And my final one, George Rubicek. He's an Austrian actor and a dialogue director and a script adapter for English language versions of foreign films and television shows. And he appeared in two James Bond films. He was one of the astronauts in You Only Live Twice. So nice little link there to Shane Rimmer. And then in The Spy Who Loved Me, he was a captain of a Russian um, submarine, the Stromberg One, uh, which was originally the Potemkin, but then became the Stromberg One. So there you go. Nice little link to Shane Rimmer there as well. Mm. Um, he again has he appeared in the first Star Wars film. You'll recognise him when you as soon as you look at him in Star Wars. You'll say, ah, "I remember that guy." He, he has a conversation with Darth Vader, and then he obviously was in Doctor Who, um, Dad's Army. Um, and other credits include Billion Dollar Brain and, and The Dirty Dozen. But yeah, another uh, one under the letter R that we couldn't let go without mentioning. So uh, that I think that wraps up our episode on the letter R. There we go. There are no, move, no Bond movies under the letter R. So uh, it's just a short, uh, short stop in this letter of the alphabet. But what's next? The letter S. S. Oh, that's meaty, isn't it? We've got some good ones. Yeah, of a lot of... A lot of people under the letter uh, S. So we might have to make a two-part uh, for the, uh, the the letter episodes. But yeah. we've also got movie episodes to, to come. Skyfall and Spectre, back-to-back. Mm. And, of course, one of the big creatives of the Bond world that we haven't covered in detail yet, so I'm really looking forward to, Harry Saltzman. Ah, of course, yeah. So uh, I'm really looking forward to getting to, stuck into that, but... In the meantime, we are still looking for your underappreciated movie moments from the James Bond films for our 60th anniversary special episodes. Tell us what that moment is. It can be anything. It can be a song. It can be a character. It can be a gadget, a pigeon, a bondola. Um, <laughs> it can be an actor that's appeared in multiple Bond films like, yes. like Shane Rimmer. Yeah. It could be Burke Kwok. It could be anything. Yeah. Let us know who you are, what your favourite moment is. Um, on an audio clip, send it to podcast at jamesbond, uh, uk, as well as your feedback for this episode. And if people want to get us on social media, Brendan, how can they find us? At jamesbond, A to Z, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And please, uh, as always, if you enjoyed this podcast and you've listened, enjoyed what you've listened to, then please leave us a rating on uh, the, your podcast app of choice. And uh, that all ha- always helps to uh, raise the profile so uh, without further ado it just remains for me to say that the james bond a to z podcast will return next week ciao the james bond a to z podcast is hosted and produced by tom butler and brendan duffy with music by tom ingamals and artwork by helen dolly if you enjoyed this podcast please subscribe and leave us a rating and review on apple podcasts and spotify thanks for listening Helps if you open the door. And you might be... This is 007. If you're Q, does that make him R?
Ah, yes, the legendary 007 wit. Or at least half of it. Now, I dare say, 007, that you've met your match with this machine. Yeah, new model, improved specs. I thought you were on the inactive roster, some kind of injury. Yes, well, we'll see about that, so. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.